ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله Verily our praise is due to Allah and as such we should seek his help and seek his support and seek refuge in him from the evil which is within ourselves and the evil which results from our deeds. For whomsoever Allah has guided none can misguide and whomsoever Allah has allowed to go astray none can guide. And I bear witness that there is no God worthy of worship but Allah and that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the last messenger of Allah. The issue this afternoon which I hope to address is that of establishment of Islam in the UK. And this issue is of primary importance to each and every one of us. Because there is a curse which hangs over our heads. A curse which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enunciated in Surah Al-Nisa. The fourth chapter of the Quran, verse 97, in which Allah says, describing in which Muslims die in a state of oppression, die in a state in which they were unable to fulfill their responsibilities to Allah. Allah describes them in a general picture, a general picture which is applicable to each and every one of us. It is applicable at the time of revelation of the Quran and it remains applicable until the last day of this world. Allah says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ تَوَفَّاهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةُ ظَالِمِي أَنفُسِهِمْ قَالُوا فِيمَا كُنْتُمْ قَالُوا كُنَّا مُسْتَضْعَفِينَ فِي الْأَرْضِ قَالُوا أَلَمْ تَكُنْ أَرْضُ اللَّهِ وَاسِعَةً فَتُهَاجِرُوا فِيهَا فَأُولَئِكَ مَأْوَاهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ وَسَاءَتْ نَصِيرًا when the angels take the souls of those who die in sin against themselves, they say, in what plight were you? Those who die in a state of sin against themselves are those who were disobeying Allah. Their lives were lives of disobedience. They were not implementing the commandments of Allah in their lives. So Allah refers to them as 
in a state of self-oppression. Because our disobedience of Allah in no way oppresses Allah. We only oppress ourselves. When such people die in the state of self-oppression, the angels ask them what was their situation? And their response is, we were weak and oppressed in the earth. We were weak and oppressed in the earth. We are, are a minority, non-Muslims run this country. This is why we can't do this, we can't do that, why we're taking riba, you know, why we're taking bank loans, we're taking uh, student loans, or we're taking out insurance, so in all the different excuses of these things which we know are haram. We say, we were weak and oppressed in the land. The angels will say to them, أَلَمْ تَكُنْ أَرْضُ اللَّهِ وَاسِعَةً فَتُهَاجِرُ فِيهَا Wasn't Allah's earth wide that you could emigrate in it? You could leave that state of oppression and go to another area where you may fulfill the commandments of Allah. This is the response of the angels. And Allah feels that verse saying, فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَأْوَاهُمْ جَهَنَّمْ وَسَاءَتْ مَصِيرًا Those will find their abode in hell. And what an evil refuge. This is a curse. This is a curse which sits over the head of all of us. That if we die in a state of oppression, having been able to emigrate, our end is hell. This is serious. This is not something to joke about. This is our future. This is the hereafter. Allah goes on, of course, to take into account those people who had no opportunity to emigrate, saying, except those who are really weak and oppressed, men, women, and children, who have no means in their power nor can they find a way to escape. For them there is hope with Allah. That Allah will forgive. For Allah blots out sins and is off forgiving. So Allah is just. Those who have no opportunity. Allah is forgiving. For those who make the effort, and people will say, but you know, to go on hijrah, to make hijrah, to emigrate, to try to leave this place, it's so fraught with difficulties, problems, with an uncertain future, because you're leaving the known for the unknown. What does Allah say? <laughs> 
forsakes his home. He emigrates, forsaking his home in the cause of Allah, for the sake of Allah. Finds in the earth many refuges and abundance. This is the promise of Allah. No matter how uncertain the future may seem to you, Allah promises that you will find places of refuge and abundance. And should he die, should the brother or sister die in the process, on the way, making the effort, making that commitment, Allah says, should he die during hijrah for Allah and his messenger, that is hijrah for Allah and his messenger, his reward becomes due and sure with Allah. Paradise. Allah promises him or her paradise. And Allah is up for giving most merciful. This is the picture. Some people say, well, that was Israel in the time of Prophet Muhammad. And there's a well known hadith in Sahih Bukhari in the chapter of Jihad in which Prophet said, يوم الفتح فتح مكة لا هجرة ولكن جهاد ولية for the day of the conquest فتح إذا جاء نصر الله والفتح that is the conquest of مكة and there is no hijra after that but instead there is jihad and niya the intention for jihad. Now, if we take that hadith by itself, we say, okay, finish. We can just put Hijra out of the picture and just stay here and, you know, call for jihad. We have the intention. Wave the banners, stick the stickers, you know, jihad. But the point is that we have to look at the sunnah as a completeness. Not just take one hadith out and then say, okay, that's it. Excuse, because there is another hadith which is also authentic, narrated by Muawiyah, that he heard Rasulullah say, لا تنقطع الهجرة حتى تنقطع التوبة. Hijra, that is, emigration will not end until repentance ends. وَلَا تَنْقَطِعُ الْتَوْبَةُ حَتَّى تَطْلُعَ الشَّمْسُ مِنْ مَغْرِبِهَا And Tawbah will not end until the sun rises from the west. So the Hijrah is still there. The Hijrah which the Prophet cancelled in the first Hadith of Sahih Bukhari, this was the Hijrah to Medina. Finish. Yes, after the conquest of Mecca, the Hijrah to Medina ended. Prior to that conquest, it was compulsory to make Hijrah to Medina. To build, to establish the Islamic order, Muslims were obliged. But after the conquest of Mecca, finished now, Muslims could reside in Mecca or in Medina or in any areas that Muslims were now under control. So that Hijrah was over. But the general commandment for Hijrah, which is found in the verse, 
of pure and nishah, that one remains until the sun rises in the west. And since it hasn't risen yet, it means that it is applicable to us. This is an obligation. Now, what is the relevance to that in establishing Islam in the UK? It sounds like I just told you how to leave. Get out of here. <laughs> what are we doing here then? But the point is that when Muslims have settled in an area, they have either to leave that area if they cannot practice Islam, or the other option is to establish Islam. That is the other option. For those people who are just living British lives, they have become this happy to reach the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. For them, this curse applies. Who are satisfied just to live here, live a comfortable life, allow their children to go to non-Muslim schools and uh, become non-Muslims, either in fact or theoretically. They live on riba, the food they eat is haram, the clothes they wear is haram, the house they live in is haram, but mashallah, Allah ghafoor rahim they wait and depend on Allah is the most merciful. This curse is there for them. For those who realize the responsibility of being in this land, to establish Islam here and to convey Islam to the people of this land, for them, there is an excuse for being here. They are justified in being here. So this is the significance with regard to establishing Islam in the West. We have an obligation. We are here we have an obligation to establish Islam or leave. Struggle to establish Islam here or leave. Otherwise, we are infant. How can we establish Islam here in the West? Can it be done as individuals? Individuals scattered all over the country living private individual life? No. All of Islam demands community. All of the commandments of Islam demand of us the establishment of community. 
Mishahada is not accepted unless they're witnesses. The community needs to know. Salah. The Salah in Jama'ah. The 25, 27 times more that of the Salah by yourself. Salatul Janazah, when you die. It's done by a group. Fasting, Eid, Eid and Fitr. This is the community. Zakah, collection of Zakah and its distribution. This is community activity. And Hajj. Hajj is what? The world community of Muslims. Congregating in Mecca. To fulfill the commandment of Allah. Islam demands community. If we are to establish Islam here, then it is necessary for us to establish community. Community is not meeting brothers and sisters in the masjid once a week, giving salams to each other, how's life, and then carrying on. It is not community. It's a congregation, but it is not community. This is not the community that the Prophet ﷺ established. We say we follow the Qur'an and the Sunnah, but that is not the community that the Prophet ﷺ established. He established a masjid, which became a center of education, which was surrounded by the Muslims. An environment. An environment of Muslims. We know here that the environment turns Muslims into Catholics, believers into distributes. The environment does it. Prophet Muhammad said, Kullu mauludin yuladu ala al-fitra. Every child is born with that natural belief in Islam as a Muslim. But it is the fathers and mothers, Abawahu yuhawidani or yuhajitani. It is the parents, the environment that he grows up in or she grows up in, which turns them into a Christian or a Jew or a Zoroastrian. Or an atheist. The environment. The establishment of Islam here requires the establishment of an environment. An environment of believers. Not an ethical environment. Not a community of Somalis or Pakistanis or in uh, Egyptian, because we have those, but a community of believers. And this is where the issue of Hijra can be manifest right here in England. 
Muslims who realize the need for establishment of community can work together, can plan and establish in some part or part of England communities of believers. This is something which is feasible. This is something which is required if we are ultimately to establish Islam in this land. That community should have in it all of the necessary components to fulfill the needs of any self-sufficient living community. Islamic education, which was among the topics of this time, is a component. It is not the answer to all of our problems. It is a part of the answer. Islamic education is a requirement. It is the duty of parents to provide for their children an Islamic education. This is a duty and a requirement, a responsibility. Every single Muslim child who goes through the system, who deviates from Islam by going to government schools, etc., the responsibility for those children are born. The sin of their deviation is born by the community as a whole. Seeking knowledge is compulsory for every Muslim. We all know this. We repeat it. Every conference. Every gathering. But how is the seeking of knowledge effectively established? It has to be established through institution, through community. The schools have to be established. The community has to be established. I'm not saying necessarily that we cannot establish schools before we establish communities. An effort has to be ongoing. People have to be thinking beyond their personal lives. Many of us here are involved in education, in schools, studying in universities, in colleges, etc. But what are we studying? What are our goals? If our goals are to get a job that is going to earn us a lot of money so we can get a nice place, a nice car, and, you know, comfortable life, then our priorities are twisted and distorted. We haven't understood the seriousness of our situation here. Our education should be focused in the areas which are necessary to build community here. Meaning, if 
our intention is to be here and to stay here, to work here, then our skills should be the kind of skills which will build a community, not skills which cannot be applied in this community or in any community around the world. Meaning you major in certain areas of theoretical studies where you end up with a degree which only puts you in a laboratory in one of the big uh, multinational corporations here where you cannot benefit the community. You're cut off. If you went even back home to the Muslim countries, your knowledge is of such a level that you cannot apply it. There is no place for you. This is a mistake. People get into these areas either because I like it, this is what is pleasing to me, or because that's where a lot of money is. And these two intentions are wrong. Seeking knowledge, seeking knowledge in Islam is ibadah. When Prophet Muhammad said seeking knowledge is compulsory, faridah, he is telling you it is ibadah. Salah is a faridah. He used the same term to describe salah as to describe seeking knowledge. Seeking knowledge is ibadah. And that's why Prophet Muhammad said, Man salaka tariqan yaltamisu fihi ilman Whoever goes out on a path seeking knowledge, Allah makes the path to paradise for him or her easy. It's a dada. For it to make the path to paradise easy for you, it's got to be a dada. We will not get to paradise except by fulfilling the commandments of Allah. So seeking knowledge is ibadah. In fact, Prophet Muhammad in another authentic narration said, Ad-dunya mal'una mal'unun ma'fiha The whole of the world is cursed. And everything in it is cursed. إِلَّا ذِكْرُ اللَّهِ Except the remembrance of Allah. وَمَا وَلَا And what helps you to remember, remember Allah. وَعَالِمًا وَمُتَعَلِّمًا And the scholar, the teacher, and the student. He has said that everything is cursed except the remembrance of Allah. And what helps you to remember Allah? The scholar and the student. This is all pointing to the fact that knowledge, the seeking of knowledge is ibadah. And that's how we have to look at it. Of course, there are priorities in knowledge. There is knowledge which, if you don't have it, you can't make it to paradise. Okay, so that has to come first. This is the basic knowledge of the deen. What you need to protect yourself from disobeying Allah in your daily life. That is first and foremost. But then there's knowledge which is what they would refer to as farad kifaya. 
knowledge is the community need. Without it, the community falls into sin. This is knowledge of medicine, knowledge of engineering, and other types of knowledge which are necessary to establish the community. And ultimately that knowledge is from Allah. This is what Allah has told us. This is confirming this knowledge is from Allah. The true knowledge, which is the basis of technology and science, mathematics, etc., etc., this is from Allah. To gain that knowledge for the sake of Allah is ibadah, is a part of ibadah. And this is what we need to have in our minds. As we develop ourselves, we go into studies, etc., we go into different professions, it is essential for us to understand what should be the goals of our education. Goals which connect us to community and connect us to Allah. So, the establishment of Islamic schools is a necessity, is an obligation on the community here, as is the establishment of Muslim clinics, Muslim dental uh, surgeries, whatever you call them here. All of the basic components which make up a community, it is compulsory and Muslim banks, Muslim financial institutions that will save the community from falling into riba. There needs to be people gaining that knowledge or who have that knowledge who will utilize it to protect the community. The Hijrah. Practically speaking, it is possible for people who are concerned to choose one place or two places or whatever. In England, where there is a potential for Muslims to emigrate. Within England, a town where Muslims are able to congregate in areas, to purchase areas, to develop these areas into a living community. Where the masjid is filled for Salatul Fajr, because Muslims are all around that area. Where there are no drugs, no alcohol, no cinemas and things like this in that given area, that Muslims control. Because it would be established on the basis of faith, not on the basis of culture, nationalism, but on the basis of faith. This is the most important 
responsibility that faces us here in England. And anything which diverts us from fulfilling that responsibility, we have to struggle against. We have to fight against. The forces of Shaitan do not want us to succeed. And they will interfere. They will intercede. They will cut off this way for us. They will create confusion amongst our ranks in order to divert us from this responsibility. A responsibility to ourselves and a responsibility to our children. So many people want to learn. We want to get Islamic knowledge, but where to go? How can we leave this country? We have children and all these communities with its institutions can educate the community. The school is not just a school for the children, it is a school for the adults as well. Programs can be there systematically educating the members of the community, the women and the men and the children. Education should be available on a regular and consistent basis. This is the foundation that we have to build. And all those forces which would seek to prevent people from getting knowledge, from coming together and establishing such communities, these forces are under the influence of Shaitan. It is the reality. The common tactics of these forces include slander, backbiting, it is the most effective. People are maligned, their honor is besmirched as a means of cutting off people from supporting their efforts. I'm sure many of you are well aware of some of the slander and backbiting and lies, etc., which have circulated in the country in an effort to stop this community struggle. The struggle to enlighten members of the community to raise their level both spiritually as well as practically in the fiqh, in the sharia, and the understanding of the deen. But in the end, each and every one of us has to look inside himself and ask, if we die tomorrow or today, what do we have to say to the angels when they ask us, about our state of self-oppression. What is that? 
If we have the same answer, then Allah has promised us power. If we have the same answer, we had a means to do otherwise, Allah has promised us help. And if this doesn't mean anything to us, then faith is a sham. Allah describes the believers as those who when they hear the verses of Allah recited to them, their hearts are softened. Their hearts quiver. Wajilat kulubu. Their hearts quiver. They know. They know that they have to do what Allah has commanded. They recognize their faults. They don't duck. They don't try to hide and find excuses here and there to justify not obeying the commandments of Allah. They accept it. Take it to their hearts. Ask Allah's forgiveness and try to fulfill their responsibility to Allah. Because in the end, that is what it is all about. If we die knowing that we have striven our utmost to fulfill our duty to Allah, then Alhamdulillah, we have no fear. We can stand before Him and know we did our best. But if we die knowing that we have not made that effort, we have not committed ourselves to the obedience of Allah in our personal lives, in the lives of our families, in the lives of our children, the lives, the life of our community. If we die knowing that we haven't, then it is all over. It is all over for us. All that we face in the next life is punishment, is regret, is despair. So my brothers and sisters, let us reflect on this responsibility. A responsibility which Allah has put on our shoulders Telling us, now you can live Allah nafsan illa wusaha. That Allah does not burden any soul more than it can bear. Allah didn't put this on us, and it is impossible for us to fulfill it. It may seem difficult. It may appear to be a great uphill monumental task. How? But we have to believe that there is a way. And we have to die striving to find that way. If we die in that strive, Allah promises us paradise. If we don't, He promises us hell. This is what is important. We have to rededicate ourselves. We have to decide whether we are Muslims for real or whether we are just Muslims in name. 
We go through the motions, we attend the conferences, we make salah, but it is all external. It is all external. Because whilst doing that, we also slander people. And we backbite. And we cheat. And we steal. And we beg. We do all the other things which Islam has forbidden. Either our commitment to Allah is real, and we live in accordance with that commitment, or we are Munafiqun about whom Allah has said in al Munafiqina Siddhartil Asfali Minanah. Indeed, the hypocrites, those who pretend to be Muslims, will be in the lowest levels of the hellfire. Those who pretend to be Muslims. So, brothers and sisters, let us not take this lightly. Let us not leave here and come back in two years' time to hear me tell you the same thing again. Let us make the effort. There are enough people, there are enough people all around this country who are concerned, who want to make a difference. Those of you that have that commitment have to find each other. Many are here. Or some, and many are elsewhere. But ultimately, we have to find each other. We have to find each other and put our hands in the hands of each other and establish this deal, establish Islam here, or die trying. Of course, there are many issues and questions on a very practical level, which I'm sure many of you would like to, to ask. Inshallah, we'd like to give you a sufficient amount of time to get at least some of them off. So, I will stop at this point. And Um, first question is, uh, the talk was very uplifting, but what is the first step in establishing the community on a practical basis? The first step is to have that community in the heart. Because hearts which are not community-minded, which are still 
focused on ethnicity. I'm a Pakistani, he's a Sudani, he's a Egyptian. Hearts which have that cannot do it. We have to purify the hearts from these sicknesses first. As Prophet Muhammad had said in a well-known hadith found in Abu Dawood, المسلم من سلم المسلمون من لسانه ويدي The Muslim is one from whom other Muslims are saved from his hand, his tongue and his hand. That's the true Muslim. From whom other Muslims are saved from his tongue and his hand. He doesn't backbite them, he doesn't cheat them, take the properties of Muslim. This is proper Muslim, the true Muslim. Well, Muhajir, the one who emigrates, Man hajra ma'naha Allahu an is one who leaves, who emigrates away from what Allah has prohibited. And in a hadith found in Nishat, which are actually narrated by a Tirmidhi, which is authentic, Allah's Messenger said, I command you to do five things. To maintain the community, to maintain the community, to listen, to obey, to emigrate, and to fight in Allah's cause. He who secedes from the community as much as a span has cast off the tie of Islam from his neck. Unless he returns. And he who calls to what the pre-Islamic people believe, the nationalistic cause, belongs to the assemblies of Jahannam. He who calls to nationalism, tribalism, belongs to the assemblies of Jahannam. Even if he fast, prays, and asserts that he is a Muslim. So Islam has to be in the heart. The community has to be in the heart. The first step has to be from the heart. The first step is reaching out and finding our Muslim brothers from different backgrounds and coming together with them. Coming together with them. We can plan a project. We can begin with a school. Use that as the focal point. It could be a school, it could be other institutions. I'm just suggesting a school because the school is a pressing issue. A very pressing issue. Here people will build massive up and down the country. But schools, you know, everybody's thinking, you know, Prophet Muhammad said, Man bana lillahi masjidan, bana allahu lahu baytan fil jannah. Whoever builds a masjid for the sake of Allah, Allah is going to build a house in paradise for you. He didn't say whoever builds a madrasa, a school. No. So, you know, I want a house in paradise. Okay, this is natural. But, the reality is that 
the school and the madrasa can be combined. So the school and the masjid can be combined. It can be multifunctional. We don't need huge buildings costing millions of pounds with only a few people line up there in the morning, five, six people get up there for Fajr. It only fills up on Eid, you know, or somebody dies who is well known in the community. We don't need structures like that. We need structures that can serve the needs of the community. So we have to think multi-purpose. So we can focus on a project. For example, those people who are involved in education in different parts of the country, try to get them together and focus on the development of schools, of a school. Choosing an area which has the potential for Hijra for the rest of the country. Not choosing an area to set up your school where you cannot develop. The school should be in an area which has the potential for development, further development. And bring those people who have the skills towards it. Encourage those who are going into school to get the training, the kind of training that they can come out and contribute to this effort. Because in many cases, we have situations where people are developing schools, Muslim schools around the country, but we don't have Muslim teachers. So they end up 60%, 70% of the teachers in the school are non-Muslim. I mean, of course, it's better than the public school, but still, the students will suffer. So ultimately, for that success, we must have both the school as well as the teachers, the staff, the administration, etc. So people need to be directed in that direction. Advertisements can be made inviting people who want to do this who want to do this, who feel this is important, they can connect. A number is given. Those who are interested, call this number, give me your name, leave your details on the, you know, in this office or in this place, or at the end of the conference, whatever, and we will start to get together to try to develop something. The first step can come in so many different ways. But it needs those people here who feel in their hearts, yes, what he said makes sense. It is from the Quran. It is from the Sunnah. He's not talking out of his house. It makes sense. We need to do it. And we need to do it now. I don't want to be the one to say I will start that effort. I'm starting it in the sense of conveying the concept to you. I don't live here. So practically speaking, I wouldn't want to start something that I'm not able to follow through. I don't want to, you know, break people's commitments or break commitments to people, etc. But if you want, 
to do it, then we can circulate a paper right now where everybody who agrees that they want to do this. I mean, when you say you want to do it, it means not that you want to sit around in, you know, in uh, armchair discussions and just talk, it's nice and yes. No, meaning I am ready to sacrifice to do this. To make sacrifices to do this. We can take a piece of paper right now and circulate it right through those who are here. And everybody who wants to do it, who is ready to make sacrifices, to work for this, can sign their name, put their telephone number. Uh, I think, I mean, there are other papers being circulated with questions. What I would suggest is if somebody has a notebook, they can send it around right now. And if we have three volunteers who are ready to follow this up, from the names that are written here, they are ready to take the responsibility of calling these people, coordinating another gathering which will focus on this issue and how to practically go ahead and do it, then those three volunteers can make a note here on the paper, or rather than that, let me get one volunteer first. Who is ready? Stand up. We have two. Three. Okay. We can start with three and the three of you. Can you give your name? Call out your name, please. Salim Ahmed. Somebody write that down. Another name? Pardon? Aslam Muhammad Ahmed. Aslam Ahmed. As the other paper circulates, your number will be on it, and then at the end, you can take this and go ahead from there. Third name Muhammad Abi Wali. And we have somebody insisting standing number four, let him be there too. Akhtar Hussein. And since Allah is wicked, so Yuhibdul Witra is a unity, and he likes numbers which are odd, I need number five. Number five. Pardon? Hamid Mullah. Ullah. Ullah. Oh, Allah. Hamidullah. Okay. So we have five. Uh, I think we better stop here now, brother. Because <laughs> if you get six, we got to call for seven. You know, afterwards, we can keep going. We can keep going after that. Hmm? No, we had seven. Uh, we had five. Another one. 
Oh, you have seven years already? Okay. So we can take this. Yes, they should be. Shukran. <laughs> they should be amongst the sisters, somebody doing the same. Since we have seven brothers, let there be seven sisters who give their names and somebody record it and they represent the sister committee of the same project. Barakallahu feekum. May Allah bless all of you and make this the beginning of something new. Man sanna sunnatan hasana, as Prophet promised, whoever begins a good sunnah, he gets the reward of everyone who follows that sunnah without decreasing their reward in the least. So I pray, inshallah, this is the beginning of a new sunnah. In this country we have to pay mortgages, how do we avoid this cost establishing a new community? As I said, the issues concerning the economics, etc. should be tackled simultaneously. We shouldn't think in terms that we'll not establish economic institutions until after we establish the community. No. Some people can be working on the school aspect. Some people can be working on the economic aspect, you know, setting up economic institutions which will help Muslims get out of the situation of riba. Because, of course, I don't have to stress to you how serious the sin of riba is. A sin so serious that Prophet Muhammad has said that it has over 70 branches. The simplest of which is like a man having sex with his mother. I mean, you can't get any more serious than that. That Allah and His Messenger have declared war on those who refuse to give it up. Are we ready to fight Allah and His Messenger? So practically speaking, there, need, there is a need for those people who have the economic background, the skills and the knowledge in economics to work towards the development of economic institutions which will help to alleviate these problems. But in the meantime, in the meantime, beware. Beware. Because riba is corruptive. It destroys. Yamhakullahu riba Allah has cursed riba. And he has blessed with growth charity. Let us beware. Beware that we don't justify riba when there really is no justification. Let us remember 
that every pound that we pay in rent, though we end up at the end of the year with nothing, is worth so much more is added to our scale of good deeds in comparison to the pound that we pay in mortgage, which is cursed, which is added to our scale of evil deeds on the day when we don't want to see evil deeds on our scale. How can we overcome the criticism and opposition by the majority in this country by creating ghettos and being segregated whilst also trying to establish our own schools and other Muslim institutions? Well, the accusation of ghettoization, this is only valid in ethnic communities where all the Pakistanis gather in one town or another town then it becomes a ghetto. You know, you can find the doors and say, hey, it's all Pakistanis, but they're drug dealers, Pakistani drug dealers, Pakistani, you know, selling alcohol and all these other things. So, it's just an area which becomes a rundown area, property values drop and all these other things. Because it is based on ethnic background, culture, culture. Whereas, a community of believers is an open community. It's open in the sense that it doesn't close itself off to the rest of the society. It invites them in. It invites them in for da'wah. Its existence is da'wah. It will prove to this country what Islam can do for them. It represents the actions which speak louder than the many words. So, it would not be a ghetto. Ghetto where there is corruption, etc., etc., no. It would be a sanctuary. That's what it would be. It would be a sanctuary where so many people in this country would be begging us, non-Muslims, would be begging us to allow them to come in with us. Believe me. Because they're suffering too. They're suffering. They can see the crime, they can see the drugs, they can see what's happening in their schools, the television, and all these different things. They can see it. Some of them are crying out different, you know, at different points to hear them. They are suffering. It wouldn't be a ghetto, brothers and sisters, it would be a sanctuary. Where we didn't have to hold the people out. We don't have any more room yet, you know. That is the reality. Please could you explain the situation regarding accepting a wage for teaching the Quran and Quranic Arabic? Could you mention the evidence to support taking or not taking money for this kind of teaching? Okay, the evidence for, teaching, uh, for taking wages for teaching Islam and Quran is based on uh, Mus'ab ibn Umair who went to Medina, who was sent by the Prophet ﷺ to Medina, 
and whose basic needs were taken care of whilst he talked. That the person who is taking from their time to teach has needs, and the money they're giving is not for the teaching, but to help them fulfill their needs. This is the basis. In school, you want a teacher to come into school to teach Islamic studies and to teach Arabic, Quran, Tajweed, etc. That teacher has to live. They have to be able to function. So you give them money to help them to function while they're teaching. You're not paying them for teaching. You're not paying them for teaching. You're, you're giving them money to enable them to teach. It may seem like a subtle difference, but this is how it has to be looked at. And this is where it is justified. Where a person has the need, they don't have a need, then, of course, they should teach from themselves without taking any remuneration. Of course, this is higher, this is greater, if one has the need. Um, I'm going to sort of paraphrase, there's a lot of similar questions from the sisters regarding permissibility and general issues regarding whether they can leave time to study at the university in this country or not. Hey, this is an issue which is, you know, a controversial type issue, which becomes a problem because of the fact that there is no community. When you don't have the community, then you see all these sicknesses, all these problems arise. Whether it is husbands beating their wives, you know, problems in the home, all the different types of family problems that arise, or it is issues regarding education, or it is riba or so on. All of these problems are a product of the lack of community. Because in your community, when you establish school, you don't stop at secondary school. Once you finish establishing that, then you start to establish a college or university. You work towards that. Of course, it takes time. And what do you do in the meantime? In the meantime, because it is necessary to have educated people it is necessary to have educated people to establish those institutions whether it be the educational institutions or the medical or financial or whatever institutions the knowledge right now is in universities of the disbelievers. So it means that the only way to get that knowledge at this point in time, for those of us that are here, is that we are going to have to go in to some haram circumstances in the universities, sitting in mixed classes, you know, and what exists in the universities, we will have to 
make that sacrifice to get that knowledge so that the next generation will not have to do what we have to do. But if nobody goes there, then the next generation will be in the same situation that we are in. And they will curse us. They will curse us. Because we had the chance to change it. And we didn't. So where there is no school available, no university available for those sisters who are going into necessary courses. Again, we're not talking about going to learn cooking, sociology, you know, these types of uh, courses which are either, you know, entertaining type courses or courses that provide false knowledge. Knowledge which is against the Quran and Sunnah. If they're in trying to gain certain knowledge of critical courses with the goal of bringing it back to the community, for the development of the community, then, inshallah, Allah will forgive them for making that step. And we're not saying the ends justify the means. We're saying the lesser of two evils. We have an evil which is that right now I send my wife to the dentist. And that dentist, if you, any of you have recently been to the dentist and think back what your position was in relationship to the dentist. Here you are stretched out on this chair. And the dentist has his nose touching your nose. Have you sent your wife to that dentist? Think about it. Is that an evil or is it not an evil? That is an evil. Without providing a female dentist, then we are obliging our community to send their women into that state of evil. So, for a sister, to go and study dentistry, to alleviate her other sisters from that greatest state of evil is, in my view and in the view of a number of other scholars, permissible. This is preventing a greater evil. I know there are a number of scholars at the same time who say women, they only need to learn to read and write, that's it. Send them to primary school once they finish learning how to read and write, stay at home, finish. This is the view of some scholars, notable scholars. That is their view. And if you feel that that is what is appropriate for your family, you don't mind sending your wife to the uh, dentist, then, mashallah, that is your choice. But there are others who view that in this circumstance, given these circumstances here, it is legitimate for women to go out and get this knowledge, but it has to be with this intention. It has to be with the intention of serving the Muslim community. Removing from them a greater harm. And secondly, 
the sister who is going has to be somebody whose deen is solid. She knows the deen. She is not a sister who is still struggling, should I cover my head or shouldn't I cover my head? No, no, no. She won't send a sister to that state of mind into that circumstance. That is suicide. That is religious suicide. It has to be a sister who is clear. She is maintaining complete, proper hijab. She is established for prayer. She is not shaky. Such a sister, you can stay under those circumstances here. This started off the same question three times, so I can go to read it. If a family came to this country on the basis of wealth and still have the passport of the Muslim country, should they go immediately back? Again, please. If a family came to this country on the basis of wealth but still have the passport to the Muslim country, should they go immediately back, i.e. sell up? i.e. Um, a person who came here, obviously he came for the wrong intention, just seeking, as you said, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, uh, who now realizes that was the wrong intention, they have a choice here now. If they see themselves contributing to the effort of establishing Islam and community here, then they may stay and continue with the struggle. But if they see they have nothing to contribute, they're on the door, or virtually on the door, and they're just living. It's better for them to go back. They still have the means, they can buy tickets and get back out of here, then it's better. As they say, you are the part of the solution, or you're part of the problem. Um, a lot of similar questions about what do you do if you want to send your children to Muslim schools but they are basically too costly, too expensive. Well again, as I said, this is, this is part of the, the, the need where schools are not community based in the sense that they are supported by a full community that can now reduce the fees to a point where it is acceptable to the mass of people. You know, where it's only a few people involved in it. Then, we find ourselves in such kinds of situations. Such a person who has no choice. They don't have the means, the economic means to do it. Then, of course, you know, Allah is merciful if they have the intention in their heart to do it as soon as the opportunity arises. And they should be working with those who are trying to do it. But, I must say that before I would accept that a person is not able to afford it, we have to look into that person's life. You know, I would say, list your expenses. You know, if there is in your budget a chunk of money which is spent on junk, you know, whether it's junk food or whether it is, you know, junk in the terms of 
of trivialities, things you get stick around your home to adore, you know, uh, things you like to stick on the wall or stick on desks or, you know. There, there's a bunch of, of junk that we tend to put in our home, which we don't need. Right? There are monies which are being spent daily, weekly, which we really don't need to spend. You know, if a person says that in my budget there is nothing like that, then I will say, MashaAllah, this is, you know, Allah's test for you and He's most merciful because He determines your risk. And be patient, struggle, try to find a way, inshallah Allah will help you. But if in your life you know, you know, you've got a sweet tooth. Every day you have to feed it. So many Kit Kat bars and fixes and you know, and you just, you see, you don't realize it, you know, like the person who smokes when you add up how much he spends on smoking in a year, it, you know, it's a huge amount, but when you think of it on a daily basis, it doesn't seem like much. But you know, if you person, you have people who have these sweet foods which they've got to feed constantly. When you add up at the end of a week or end of a month how much they actually spend on candy, you might find half of the fees for paying for the kid to go to school. You might. So I'm just saying, for a person to, to say I just don't have the means, one has to seriously look at one's budget. Check oneself thoroughly. Am I wasting money on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, etc., etc.? Is there any room, any way that I can extract some money here or there to find those fees to get my child to the school? Or in another town, there is a cheaper school. But, you know, I want to be here because my friends are here and my visitors are there and, you know, so it becomes uh, an emotional thing. There is another school, but I don't want to go there. I don't like Birmingham or I don't like this town, you know. I'm from the this place and the that place. Again, they said, what is this? You just said you couldn't, but no, you can. So again, we have to look at the situation very honestly. And we have to remove our personal, emotional likes and dislikes which may hamper us from providing that education for our children. Mm. Oh, before you do this, okay, as a note regarding school projects, Brixton, uh, Brixton Masjid has started a boys' school last year, 1996. A number of kids are students, but only one teacher. It is based in the Masjid, poor facilities, the school has had to be closed due to a lack of male teachers. They need at least three to four brothers trained as teachers inshallah to get the school off the ground. They realize that they need to pay a reasonable salary as well. MashaAllah, the girls' school is running. This is an opportunity straight away to aim for. Brothers at Brixton are aiming to get the school running again properly, inshallah. In a couple of years' time, they desperately need brothers. This is one example, and I'm sure there are many others. You know, there are school projects which are in need, and I've heard it, different places I've been to, in need of teachers. Many sisters tend to go into teaching, and the brothers tend to go into other areas. There needs to be more males going into education, because on the primary level, we can get away with female teachers teaching our children you know, up to about the age of 10. Once they get into 10, then we should have, they should have male teachers. You know, so 
And most of the schools are starting, the new ones are starting on the primary level. Uh, so we're covered to some degree that we need to have people now, males, brothers, going into uh, education, fields of a different fields of education, to provide, you know, secondary education for our males. And there's a general tendency throughout the country, <coughs> amongst the communities, to set up a girls' school. You know, they have money, you're going to set up a school, it's a girls' school. And everywhere they get more money to set up another girls' school, and another girls' school. You know, we want to protect the girls. But you see, it's like a double standard thing, you know. The girls, we try to keep them pure, because if they get out there and they, mix, and they mess up, well, they have a kid, it shows. Whereas the boys, you know, if they mess up, they can always come back, nobody knows, they can go here, go there. But this is the wrong philosophy. It's a dangerous philosophy. We are raising our girls pure, and then we're going to turn them over to corrupt guys. And that's why so many problems, the sisters are mentioning, I married this guy, he was supposed to be a this, and I found out he's drinking, he's doing this, he wants to do that, he doesn't want to study, he doesn't want to learn Islam, and doesn't pray, and... So many cases like this. Because the boys have been neglected. No, this is a, a wrong philosophy. You know, the pure are for the pure. Let us try to protect both our males as well as our females. Um, I've got a lot of very similar notes informing me, or wanting to inform you, that there is, in fact, the availability of halal mortgages, so-called, through the United Bank of Kuwait. And then there is an equal number of papers asking um, the Sheikh, can you explain if this halal mortgage is actually halal or not? So, <laughs> Sounds like they're asking about halal interest, right? Halal riba. <laughs> well, uh, leading scholars from all parts of the Muslim world have gathered and analyzed with the process of purchase and resale at a higher cost and concluded that this according to Islamic law is permissible. If the bank buys a property and sells it back to you at a higher price that this represents two sales and not one sale with two within it. It represents two separate sales. And this is one of the bases under which most of the Islamic banks function. But rather than give you a loan, Qarb Hasana, they don't want to hear that one. You know? And the true Islamic bank would have this facility. Those who are planning or thinking to work towards it, they should keep that in mind. Because this is an integral part. The Qard Hasana, the good the loan. The loan for the sake of Allah, where the loan is given. But the principle where the bank buys your house that you want to buy, 
it pays for it, it becomes the property of the bank. And then you purchase the house from the bank at a higher price, which you will pay over in installments, for example, that this principle, according to the majority of scholars who have analyzed this, and they put it out in the form of a fatwa coming from uh, the Rabata, they meet yearly, there's a thick council there, which meets yearly, analyzes, brings the evidences back and forth, and this is what they ruled, that it is permissible. I know many of you may say, well, what's the difference? What's the difference between that and riba? Allah said in the Quran, 1,400 years ago, that people asked the same question. إِنَّمَا الْبَيْعُ مِثْلُ riba. Buying and selling is like riba. وَأَحَلَّ اللَّهُ الْبَيْعَ وَحَرَّمَ الْرِبَى But Allah has made sale permissible and forbidden interest. So, the fact that there is similarity doesn't necessarily mean that it is the same. There is a similarity between pork and beef. There is a similarity, but they are not the same. There is a similarity between alcohol, between wine and grape juice, but they are not the same. For everything which is haram, there is something halal similar. Did you read Aina? No, it isn't. Aina is where, so I can remember exactly where it goes now, the tricky thing. You want to borrow some money. You want to borrow a hundred so, I will sell you this pen for 200 pounds, which you will pay over a period of time. That is Aina. It's riba, it's hidden riba. We agree that you will buy this pen, and we put it down in a document, for 200 pounds, which you will give me 